This is Conversation with the Cooks, presented by Husker Sports, a monthly podcast with Nebraska volleyball coach John Cook and former All-American Lauren Cook. On this edition of Conversation with the Cooks. You know, I was talking to one of our players about she's trying not to be so superstitious, and if she gets out of her routine, it's okay. Well, I, I have my routines and, and, You're the most uh, superstitious person yeah, I've like ever I met. have to pee in the same toilet during the <laughs> matches. <laughs> Can't switch toilets. Now, here's your host, Lauren Cook. Welcome back for our second episode and second time ever recording a podcast. And today we're recording, we're recording in your home office, which has these big tall windows that showcase incredible views of a golf course. And I think it actually may be bigger than your office at work. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's close. It's close. It's a great office. And you just have to appreciate Husker Sports Network for uh, making your life easier and letting us record this podcast at your house. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Although I do like going down the Haymarket. Oh. So, uh, going downtown, nightlife. Yeah, but this is nice. This is fun. It's <laughs> now, based off the reviews and the emails we saw to Bill Moose, I feel like we're naturals. Like, maybe we have this whole podcast thing down. You might as well just get out of coaching and we can become professional podcasters. What oh, do you yeah. say? I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, if we can get up to what Lance Armstrong has, I think he has 750,000 listeners. So. I think he's at like a million. Okay. I want let's get, to let's get a goal of 100,000. All right. Husker Nation, yeah. make it happen. Yeah. You can subscribe. I think that's, I think it's called subscribers. I'm not for sure, but I think he has a million subscribers or 700,000 any subscribers. Anyways, that voice that you just heard is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Nebraska Volleyball Head Coach, John Cook, and I'm your host, Lauren Cook-West. Now, number two is a big deal in the Cook household. <laughs> I wore number two in college. Number two is your favorite number, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and Well, it's on your Twitter and Instagram handle. It's Cook or John Cook, too. Oh, so I the, think that's just what the university gave me. But yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll pretend it's my favorite number. University did not make your Twitter and Instagram. No, because I think there's two Jay Cooks that work at the university. Oh, so really? there's a Jay Cook and there's and I'm Jay Cook too because the Jay Cook was before me, so I was second. So it's Jay Cook too. So yes, they you, did give me the Twitter handle. You should definitely be Jay Cook number one. <laughs> no, <laughs> we need to figure out but who right this now, guy is. Right now we're number two. We just True. lost in the championship last year. So <laughs> so since number two is our number we're going to get to know you a little better and then maybe we can talk about me a little bit as well so i want to start with music you always have music playing in your office at home in your car while you work out but it's the same music the same songs just over and over and over again and you're a pearl jam junkie so when did this whole i because i don't even know this answer when did this whole pearl jam obsession begin and why did it begin well first of all uh, I listen to more than Pearl Jam because uh, <laughs> I've got Spotify now, and I had Aneshka help me make a playlist that we play in practice of music they like, music I like. So we got a pretty cool playlist going. But with Spotify, I found out I can like type in, you know, fire up music or motivational music or mellow music or studying music, and then it, it plays that. So I've really gotten into Spotify. It's on my computer and on my phone. So wow. I feel very technology savvy. <laughs> but the way Pearl Jam got started, Lauren, is um, in 2000 and, let's see, that was in 2002, I think, they played a concert in Council Bluffs at the Mid-America Center, and Craig Skinner and I went up there, and I took uh, Husker Power t-shirts to give to the band. I was bummed they didn't wear them, in the, and I thought they might break them out during the concert, but they didn't. They, they would have <laughs> they'd have blown the roof off if they did. But... 
anyway, the story is, first of all, I use them as a, a metaphor for our team. It's a band that's been together for over 25 years, so they've stuck together. They've, they're a great team. They work really well together. They travel all over the world. They talk about family and unity, and they just and they and they really passionate and enjoy what they're doing, even though they've been doing it so long. And that's a hard life. Second thing is Eddie Vetter is from San Diego. He's in North County, and he was a surfer there. Went to San Diego High School, which is a rival of your mom's high school, Torrey Pines. And then Matt Cameron grew up in Benita, California, which is right next to Chula Vista. So he grew up about probably a quarter of a mile from where I grew up. And my best friend, a guy named Jim Black, who, who calls every morning on Christmas, yeah, who's a retired firefighter in San Diego, and Jim's mom is Matt Cameron's godmother. So, based on those two connections, um, you're pretty much a celebrity. <clears throat> well, we like Pearl Jam because they're San Diego. They're surfers. They play good music and they they go hard. And I kind of had a rule a while back, a few years ago, that. There's only three bands that we would let play in the in the Coliseum back then. That was either Pearl Jam because they go all out when they perform, and they just they just go for three hours. It's it's not you know uh, I, Red Hot Chili Peppers is 90 minutes and they're see you later. So it's either Pearl Jam, Bruce Springsteen because he goes all out, and then uh, Rolling Stones because Mick Jagger's like 70 and he's still getting after it. So. Those are the bands that we, for a while, would only allow. Now, of course, of course, rap music comes in, and this might be more than what you asked for, but it's a <laughs> podcast, so we'll talk about whatever we want. But I tell our players, so these, these rap guys that they like to listen to, I'm just like, okay, so are those rap guys selling out Wrigley Field and Fenway Park for concerts like Pearl Jam? So you tell me who's more important and who uh, makes more money and, and who's more popular. And is the rap guy or... Pearl Jam, who's putting 50000 in Wrigley Field for a concert, back-to-back, mind you. I think Jay-Z and Kanye West are probably the two top competitors. But I don't know. I mean, they're, They don't even sell out Pinnacle Bank. <laughs> they, they're they so big, they yeah. don't even come to Pinnacle Bank. Yeah, they do. When? Kanye's been to Pinnacle Bank. He has? Yeah, oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, they cut Pinnacle Bank in half just to make it look full, full <laughs> for those guys. Okay, so I, I love this story, so I need you to tell it. You have an empty wine bottle in your office that's been sitting on the shelf in your office for past, what, two years? Three years? Two years? Uh, it's been almost three years. Three years, okay. And I want you to tell the story behind this empty wine bottle that's sitting on your shelf. So in 2014... Pearl Jam came to Pinnacle Bank Arena for a concert. It was a Thursday night. I booked a ticket. We played Michigan State at Michigan State on Friday, and this is in November. So I booked a plane ticket for a 6 a.m. flight out of Lincoln to get to Michigan State. Um, on, sat- on that Saturday? On, no, for the Friday. So this is on, so okay. Pearl Jam's playing on a Thursday night. Okay, okay. I got a, I'm, So the team's flying out Thursday night. So I booked book my own plane ticket to go Friday morning. I'm not going with the team because I've got backstage passes. <laughs> Jim Black, my friend's flying out to go to the concert for Pearl Jam. That week before, we had lost. I don't remember to who. And so now we got a really important match at Michigan State, and I'm starting to freak out. Like, if I don't go with the team, you know, how's it going to look? And what happens if my flight gets delayed? So last minute, I'm like, I bail on the concert and go with the team to Michigan State. And ironically, we won that night, 16-14 in the fifth. And, of course, C.C. Hall afterward goes, well, Coach, was it worth it missing Pearl Jam? I go, heck yeah. <laughs> and he wrote on the win in the Big Ten is worth missing a Pearl Jam concert. 
Well, after that, Jim Black talked to the Pearl Jam guys and said, hey, John had to go with his team. He wanted to be there. And they said, any concert anywhere in the world, just let us know. He's got backstage pass, whatever he needs, he's in. Of course, they travel all over the world. And so anyway, I picked Toronto to go to con- the concert in Toronto in, uh, let's see, this is 2019. So this would have been 2017, I think, in May of 2017, yeah. So uh, Jim Black and I flew to Toronto and went to the concert there, had backstage pa- passes, hung out, had dinner with them, watched how they prepped. I asked them about how they perform, how their sleep routines are. I mean, I was grilling them on all the questions. And basically, I hung out with Mike McCready, the guitar guy, and Matt Cameron. Eddie kind of goes off by himself. Just like a head coach, you know, I like to be off by myself before I'm asked, <laughs> not talk to anybody. So during the concert, if you watch a Pearl Jam concert, Eddie Vedder always has a bottle of wine, and he drinks wine while he sings. I think it helps his voice. and, and Red wine? Yeah, it's red Cabernet? wine, organic, always organic. It's red wine. Okay, uh, red blend? It's a, it's a red blend from, uh, I have the bottle. It's from California. It's a red blend, organic. We know you have the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so after the concert, we go backstage, and he gave me the bottle, so his empty bottle. He actually went through two, so he gives one to the fans, and then he kept the other one, brought it back, and, and gave it to me. So I have it in my office. So it's not full. It's just a symbol of going to the Pearl Jam concert and what they stand for. You know how they always say when you pass away, you can have things buried with you in your casket? <laughs> it's going to be you holding that Eddie Vedder wine, empty wine bottle in your casket. Yeah, it'll be that. Uh, Kelly Hunter's friendship bracelet. And- <laughs> And uh, chocolate chip cookie, chocolate chip cookie, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> okay, so the only other thing that you obsess over besides Pearl Jam music is your pair of Irish Wolfhounds, Caden and Callie. Caden's the male, and how old is Caden? Caden's four. Okay, and Callie's the female, she's the older one. She'll be eight on October 1st. And how? Same day as your brother's birthday. How ironic is that? So that's a one in 365 chance. 364. 64 chance that. Well, Callie would have the same birthday as Taylor, so anyway. There you go. It's meant to be. Yeah, and Taylor and I went and got her in Minnesota and brought her back. I remember that. So a lot of people ask how you ended up with Irish Wolfhounds, because it's not a, I mean, you don't see them on the street every day walking around. You see a lot of golden doodles. You see a lot of labs, golden retrievers. So tell us, I know you grew up with Irish Wolfhounds, and that's kind of how that obsession started. Yeah, Lauren, just so you know, three weeks ago, Mari... It's at the zoo bar, and there's an Irish wolfhound in there. And in they, the zoo they, bar? In the zoo bar. <laughs> so they are around. They are downtown, and I've seen them. But they're, they're a rare, more of a rare breed to see. But what happened was when I was in high school, my mom was, uh, we lived kind of in the country in Chula Vista on a lemon ranch, and she had horses and dogs, and she took in some rescue dogs. So way back then, she would take dogs that didn't have a place. So we took in a... Something happened with his family, so we took in their Irish wolfhound. And that's when I fell in love with Irish wolfhounds. We had border collies and Australian shepherds. They're hyper. They're great dogs. They work, but they're hyper. But the wolfhounds are the king of the animal kingdom of dogs. And anyway, I just really liked them. And then I ended up getting a puppy later, my own puppy. But it only she only lasted two years because she got a foxtail in her lungs. And then um, so at some point, Taylor wanted to get when he was in high school, he wanted to get a wolfhound, so that's why we got Callie. And then, of course, when your dog passed away, Callie was lonely, so we had to get another wolfhound. So as that a, was, as that a wolfhound, was Abby. Henley's still alive and well. Uh, I'm sorry, Abby. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Abby. Abby. Yeah. Henley's your new dog. 
Abby, who was a Abby great, was our great family dog. dog. Yeah. And Abby, Abby was given to you by your grandma, my yep. mom. She was an Australian shepherd. Yeah. So anyway, when she passed away, we got another wolfhound, which is Caden. And Caden is named after his dad, which is named Aiden. And he's from in Steamboat Springs. And, and his mom, Kiva. Kiva is combined. in Weeping Water, Nebraska. Yeah, Kiva and Aiden. So yeah, Caden. So anyway. So creative. Just so you know, in the Irish, you know, on their birthdays, we... We drink whiskey and say prayers for the Irish wolfhounds. That's the tradition. <laughs> I remember when we brought Caden home. I was still living at home, and uh, we had this naming ceremony, and you read out of this Irish wolfhound book, yep. and we all had to take shots of whiskey, and I, Irish whiskey, and I hate Irish whiskey, so I think I drank it and spit it back out, but that was our way of welcoming him into the family that you made us all sit in a circle and listen to you read out of this book. <laughs> yeah. uh, an interesting story. So there is a, a development here in Lincoln called Windhawk, which is out in the country, and there used to be horses, and the, there's a family that ran it who used to own, I think, the, the Coca-Cola distributorship in Lincoln. Anyway, there, there's a, a lady who bought a house out there who has horses, and so she saw our wolfhounds driving. We were walking them, and she was driving by and saw him, and she stopped and asked about him. Next thing I know, she shows up at our house, and she's got this book, an Irish wolfhound book, and she says, I used to have an Irish wolfhound. I've had this book, and I want you to have it. So, of course, I read the book, and this book was probably written in the 50s uh, about Irish wolfhounds. But what was so fascinating is there's stories of the wolfhounds in these certain kennels all in Chicago and California, and, you know, they're shipping these puppies on trains, to go there and there's actually like the contracts in there and it was just it was fascinating and how they trained him and they showed him it was a big deal and of course what i tell our team about the irish wolfhounds the reason they're such great dogs is first of all they're very loyal they love being around people and they just want to be around people and uh but if you go back to the roman times the roman soldiers actually had them in battle and they you know each roman soldier would have an irish wolfhound to help them and fight in battle and the story goes, if you read the history about him, if a Roman soldier was killed in battle, the wolfhounds wouldn't leave him. So they would stay there until somebody finally took him away. So that's how loyal they are. And so anyway, I just I love symbolism for what we're trying to do with our team and how loyal and dedicated. And, of course, they're big, fast, athletic animals, and you've seen them run. I mean, they they can run down. They can, they're really fast, and I, I've seen Caden, you know, he's jumped over creeks, and he's amazing what those dogs can do when they, they get going. And sometimes they get to come to practice. And I, I feel like that's <laughs> the girl's favorite day when the wolfies come to practice, and some of them will actually text uh, your wife, Wendy, my mom, and they'll ask her to bring the wolfies down because you get so distracted. Practice ends up starting yeah. a, an hour yeah. later than when it was supposed to. Yeah, we do that. And, of course, they come over here. They We have some that are um, need dog fixes. So they come over here and lay down with the wolfies and pet them. And so it, it's pretty cool. But uh, everybody loves the wolfies. <laughs> and we can't forget about your grandpa, Henley. Yeah. Uh, Henley's my dog. She's a golden doodle. She's going to be two years old here in a few days. And she's actually, we've used her, she's a certified therapy dog, therapy animal, or therapy team. And we've actually used her at the past two Final Fours. And she gets some credit for how well you guys have done. No question. The last half of the season. And it's so funny because I'll get texts from you and you'll say, hey, therapy dog time. And I just bring up Henley to the meeting room and she goes and socializes with everyone. And I think they like that as well. Yeah, and Lauren, actually, you know, I just saw... 
social media feed the other day. I, I, I can't remember which baseball team. North Carolina. Well, they have one, but there's a pro team that had oh, some dogs in the, in the locker room. So teams are using those dogs as therapy dogs. But you, you know, our players, I can remember in uh, was it Kansas City. They were just all laying around. Henley was just laying with them, and they're all petting Henley. And yeah. So there's it, something to it. It's amazing the effect that animals can have on humans, and I don't think we give them enough credit. Yeah. If I tell everybody to watch the movie Alpha. Because it'll give you great insight into the connection between man and dog. That is a good movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> okay, so we briefly talked about San Diego, with Pearl, the Pearl Jam band from San Diego, and obviously everyone knows that you're from San Diego, and we do need to talk a little volleyball on this podcast, so... We were just in San Diego for that tournament, playing Arizona, San Diego, and how, what did it feel like to come back to your hometown and coach? I feel like a lot of people think, oh, he's from Nebraska, he's been here for you know 20 plus years coaching, so they just associate you in Nebraska, but really, I mean, you spent the majority of your life in California, and so what was that like? I mean, was that a cool homecoming? Just try to put that into words, because you had friends there, family. You got to go on a tour of where coaching all began for you, Francis Parker. I know you got to go to a beach that we would grow up going to. So just put, try to put that into words or into perspective. Well, that's obviously where my roots are in coaching, and I feel very lucky to the people that I started coaching with or got to observe and learn about volleyball. USA team was there. Uh, Francis Parker gave me the first opportunity. They made me coach girls volleyball. I really I was a football coach, and they made me coach girls volleyball because I needed a full time teaching job. Plus, they gave me an apartment, so it was a pretty good deal. And then to go to University of San Diego, where I played basketball, and actually applied for the job there twice and didn't get it. So I kind of have had a bone to pick with them. <laughs> but um, to see how those places have changed is incredible. And so I, I feel like it's not even. What I experienced, the campuses have changed so much, the students have changed, they've grown, they're huge compared to what it used to be. But what was really cool, Lauren, at Francis Parker, when they took me on the tour, they've got all these new buildings, really cool architecture, is that the old gym, they took a big chunk of the floor and put it on the wall so people would remember because... What happened was it was really significant. So the, one of the reasons I had to coach girls volleyball, I also coached girls basketball, girls softball, girls track. This was in the 80s. Girls sports were just starting in California. Now, in Nebraska, they were, they were playing volleyball in the Sandhills in the 60s. So, and I've verified that and talked to people who actually played. But in California, there weren't any girls sports. So that's why I, they gave me the teaching job, but they needed people to coach the girls sports. So what was significant was Francis Parker never had any success in girls' sports, and our first volleyball team went to the state playoff. And I still didn't know what I was doing. You know, I coached them like football players. They were crying all the time. I'm thinking, I'm getting fired. Uh, But they loved it, and we went really hard. And some of the stuff I did with them, there's no way I could do it now. So, for example, you had to run a mile soft sand barefoot down at Mission Beach in the soft sand under a certain time to make the team. And... I remember one year we had this setter who wasn't in the best of shape. And I told her, I said, you can't do it. And she was our starting setter. It took her two weeks to finally do it. So we started the first two weeks of the season without a setter. <laughs> and so she finally passed it. So, uh, But that team went on. You know, we, they ended up winning three state championships in a row. 
which is historic. So anyway, what happened was all of a sudden girls' sports started becoming successful. So it, the, the girls that played, it's like they looked at themselves different. The whole school looked at them different. The teachers even started coming to the matches. So it became a big deal. And it was really cool to see how that kind of all started blossoming. And I find it ironic that I ended up I've been coaching women's volleyball in college, you know, because after when I went to Nebraska as an assistant, I went back and was with USA Men, and I loved that. And I mean, if I could have stayed with that, I would have. But the fact that I started with coaching girls in women's volleyball and to see it grow at Nebraska has been pretty cool. But to answer your question, it was it was nice to go back. Uh, but as I said in the press conference today, they asked me about, it and I said, you know, it's all great. I love visiting. There's great memories, but I bleed Husker. I bet Husker Nation loves hearing that. <laughs> I, just, I feel like I'm a I'm a Nebraskan. I would agree with that. Yeah, your blood has turned Husker red. Yeah, I, I'm not retiring in San Diego. I can tell you that. <laughs> but you also met Wendy, your wife, my yeah. mom in San Diego. I was born in San Diego, yep. so a lot of cool things did happen there, and it will, I think it will always have a special place place yeah. in all of our hearts. Yeah, you were almost born in. You're supposed to be born in Nebraska, and ironically, um, your doctor who was seeing you up because you, you you went all the way to eight months and then got back to San Diego and were born. But there's a doctor here in Lincoln who was actually seeing you. He's still practicing medicine because I just talked to one of our former players who had a baby and he delivered. So, <laughs> so that's pretty cool. He's probably a really good doctor then if he's yeah. been around for that long. Yeah. Okay, so we talked about Pearl Jam. We talked about the Wolfies. Kind of the last item on your list of top three favorite things is chocolate chip cookies. Yes. And I have to tell this story is every road match, away match. So I've been doing radio for what, the past three years, four years? I think this is my four. I don't know. How many years has it been? I don't know. It all runs together. <laughs> it does all run together. Anyway, so I guess I kind of started it. You kind of helped me start this. But every away match, because I travel with the team and I'm, I'm with you guys, I'll go find a, a local bakery or somewhere that sells homemade chocolate chip cookies. You're very specific about your chocolate chip cookies. You don't like the store-bought. You like homemade, mom-style homemade cooking cookies. And I always bring you cookies on the road. And that's kind of our thing. Yeah. And that actually started when I was coaching at Wisconsin. Our secretary would set up the meals, home meals, and then she would always have chocolate chip cookies up. <laughs> she would have the restaurant. We always ate at the place called the Intowner, which is right downtown. And she, and she would have, you know, I say, hey, we need some dessert or something. And so she started ordering cookies, and they were really good. So that's kind of where the tradition started. And so, yeah, it's nice. But and, no one uh, takes care of you on the road unless I come and bring you a chocolate right, chip right. cookie. Nobody, well, Lindsay will sometimes. But but Nuwani, your nutritionist, doesn't really sure. let the girls have sweets. No, no. And you preach <clears throat> to not eat sweets. Well, but then every help. day I, 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 I turn around and you're eating a cookie. No, no store pot. They're all natural made. <laughs> okay. And, but, Organic. The Giraldi or whatever that is, those those are pretty good. Oh, Giradelli. Giradelli, yeah. Those cookies, that place is good. You know, I bring, actually, I stop at Whole Foods probably once a week and buy a box of chocolate chip cookies that I take in the office for the boys, the girls that work in there, the you know, our grad managers, they love it. So it's just, and Lauren, where that really started was when I was a young kid, like six, seven years old, my great-grandmother, we were living on her what was left of a lemon ranch. It was very small then. And she actually had this lady who would cook for her because it, originally she was cooking for all the workers and everything when it was a thriving lemon ranch. So she was probably 70 years old and still taking care of my great-grandmother who was probably in her you know 90s. 
And uh, anyway, I'd go see my great-grandmother every night, and she would tell stories. And I did my whole history thesis at University of San Diego about her life and everything that went on down in Chula Vista. There's a school named after her. She started the hot lunch program during the Depression. So Minnie was the was the, the lady's name who took care of everything, and she would make chocolate chip cookies every couple of days because my great-grandmother liked them. Well, I found the tin where she would hide them. <laughs> so of course we you would did. go in and sneak out cookies. <laughs> and this went on for a long time, and then finally we got caught. Uh-oh, what <laughs> so happened? She was, well, she, caught, she, was, we, she walked in while we were in there taking cookies, and uh, that's when they finally figured out where the heck all the cookies were going. <laughs> <laughs> did you get in trouble? Uh, no. No. Was she this, just started making more after that. And was this the same grandma that would have two martinis a day and live till she was yeah, about 100? Yeah, two packs a day, two martinis, one at 6, one at 6.15. She worked out like crazy till she passed away at 94. Garden, worked a swam, walked. She was a tough lady. And, but, and she was a lemon rancher. Started in 1912, lemon ranching in Chula Vista. And for those of you that Chula Vista means beautiful view, and Chula Vista is a, a really great spot. And back then there was nothing there, but Ch- beautiful view meant from her ranch, you could see the ocean and the mountains of San Diego. And Chula Vista used to be the lemon capital of the world up until World War II. And that's when they started eliminating the lemon ranches. They were taking all the land, developing houses because they needed workers to work in the aircraft factory in Chula Vista to build parts for jets for World War II, so, or planes. And so that's kind of when it all went away. And, of course, now everybody wants to live in Chula Vista and San Diego. It's great. It's expensive. It's crowded. And But when I was there, we would and we, we hunted, rode motorcycles. We, we could take, I could take off from our house, and 10 minutes I'd be in Mexico on my motorcycle. So, and back um, then it was safe. Oh, yeah, it was safe. But there was dirt roads. You just, there was no borders or anything. You just, we, went, we went down there. We'd camp on the beach. Ride, ride in the mountains and down in Baja, California, and go down and go fishing. So it was pretty cool. Those are some incredible stories. All right, so now it's time for our cook confession and cook lesson. <laughs> Your favorite, so hopefully you have some things in mind, but I'll start and give you some time to think. So my cook confession is whenever you would go on road trips when we were younger. Let me give a backstory here. You're not a junk food guy. You like your chocolate chip cookies, but other than that, there's, there's no chips, there's no fast food. You guys have a lot of healthy groceries in your house. Yeah, so there's a lot of candy in our team and coaching staff, and I, like, I despise it. But not. I don't think I've had a piece of candy in 30 years. But anyway, go ahead. Right. So there's not junk food in your, in your home. No. And growing up, we never got to have junk food. So when you would go on road trips and out of town, mom would treat us and take us to McDonald's. <laughs> and get, you kidding me? And get us McFlurries and some chicken nuggets, and which now after finding out what's actually in those chicken nuggets, I'm disgusted that I ate those. But she would take us for special treats and we'd go get junk food, fast food. Oh. So that's my confession. And then my cook lesson, which is, of course, another lesson that I learned from you. Do not make emotional decisions. <laughs> and that's what I have. Oh, good. And I'm supposed to come up with yeah, something? Yeah, I prepare you for this every oh, time we record, and yeah, you're never so prepared. I'm so into the moment right now. I can't think about this stuff. But a cook lesson is um, we were at the tournament this weekend. I told the team... There were several big matches. So if you go on social media, you can find the last play of each match. So like Marquette beat Wisconsin. 
Minnesota lost, right? Yeah, Illinois yeah. lost. Yeah, but anyway, if you look at the final points, they were all left side hitters tooling the ball down the line, high line. So the quick lesson is, as we say, if you hit high line, you're a goddess. That's the same lesson you 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 used last podcast. Oh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, go listen to it. I oh, I, I promise. Okay. Well, it's worth repeating. Okay. We'll we'll let we'll let it slip. Okay. Two serves in a row equals is uh, if you miss two serves in a row, it's going to cost you four points at least. Okay. That's another one. Or serving the net, I always think that's worth two points. I think you also used that one. <laughs> I did. <laughs> You're losing it. <laughs> well, this is what I do every day. I'm I'm, I'm talking about this. Uh, quick confession. Let's see here. You know, I was talking to one of our players about superstition. She was telling me about she's trying not to be so superstitious, and if she gets out of her routine, it's okay. Well, I, I have my routines. And, and, You're the most uh, superstitious person yeah, I've like ever met. I have to pee in the same toilet during the <laughs> matches. <laughs> Can't switch toilets. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to this father-daughter duo on Conversation with the Cooks. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes, and we will see you in a month. Go Big Red. Conversation with the Cooks is presented by Husker Sports, featuring Nebraska volleyball coach John Cook and former All-American Lauren Cook. Project manager is Michael Zorb. Edited by Josh Hilkeman. Sound designed by Brent Whitty. Voiceover by Mike Elliott. Cover art provided by Sam Noonan. To find other Husker Sports podcasts, subscribe to the Husker Sports Network wherever you listen to podcasts or listen and find out more at huskers.com slash podcasts.